All right, how many of you have had the opportunity um, to head up to Grandfather Mountain at some point? All right, it's a pretty cool place, isn't it? If you do, you know what it's like to be uh, on one of the highest elevations around here. It's actually one mile above sea level, which is why there's a bridge up there. Um, if, if the mountain isn't enough for you, they have this bridge called the Mile High Swinging Bridge. Right now, it's not technically, I mean, technically it is a mile high. It's a mile above sea level. Um, it is an 80-foot suspension bridge uh, that goes over a ravine that is about 228 feet below you. Yeah, if that isn't enough to stir up all kinds of emotions, when you walk out there, you might see a sign that says that this bridge was originally built in 1952. It was redone in, I think, 1999. It was updated, but, but, but stepping out on this bridge... Uh, kind of stirs up all these emotions. Let me tell you about the last time I was out there. It was a couple of years ago. It was a beautiful day down here in Asheville. It was like sunny, 65. We thought it'd be a great day to go up to Grandfather Mountain. As we start driving up there, because like we drove to the parking lot where you walk 500 feet to the guest gift shop. We didn't do the one where you hike three miles up the mountain. That one's crazy. We just drove up there. But as we were driving up there, the temperature kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And when it was like 60, 65 here in Asheville, we got up there and it was freezing up there. The clouds, either the clouds had descended or we drove into them. I'm not sure what the case is when you're up that high. But all of a sudden, it got cold and it got rainy and we couldn't see very far in front of us. And so we get up to, to, the, to the mountain, to the area, and we walk up and we're looking around. And there's a little bit of visibility by this point, not a whole lot. Uh, but I decide to go ahead and go out on the bridge um, and to give this thing a try. Right? And as I go out on the bridge, it's interesting because you step out on this bridge and the first couple of feet, everything's fine right? There's no wind. And then you get a little bit further out there and all of a sudden the wind hits you like a wall. And it's cold and it's wet and it's freezing. And I watched people immediately when that happened, they, they grabbed the railing on the bridge. They grabbed the bridge and, and they would grab a hold of it. And keep in mind, it's called the Mile High Swinging Bridge, right? Uh, and, and, but I don't remember it swinging so much just because I remember the wind almost blowing me over. Uh, and so, so, so you hold on to this rail, and, and you look, and you realize, okay, it's stable and secure, and so then you take a step, and then the wind blows, and you grab the rail, and you take another step, and that's the way it went, uh, except for some people. Some people walked out, and as soon as the wind hit them, they grabbed the bridge, and they just froze, like literally, metaphorically, everything. They just froze right there, and they couldn't take a step because the wind was just blowing up against them. And you see, walking across this bridge, I've heard, can actually be a great experience. <laughs> you know, if it's a pretty day, and, and apparently if it's like 90 degrees down here, it's a beautiful temperature up there. And, and, and when you're on this bridge, you get to see some incredible views that you, that you cannot see anyplace else other than standing on that bridge. You get to enjoy the walk across from one mountain to another, which is pretty cool. And you get to do that if the elements are right. However, if the elements are against you, walking across this bridge is anything but an enjoyable experience, right? You grab the bridge, 
And, and, and what you do is you're standing out there. When the wind hits you, you just grab what makes you feel secure. You grab a hold of that bridge. And when you do, you look and, and, and you grab the bridge and you realize the bridge is secure and you take the step and you test the bridge and you take the step and you test the bridge and you take the step. And y'all, here's why I'm sharing all this. One, because it, I want to give you a mental picture to hold on to as we go into our text today. But I also am wondering if a lot of us feel like our life is a mile high swinging bridge, right? That we're standing on a bridge and the wind just keeps hitting us. And as we feel all this wind of life blowing against us, we grab the bridge. And sometimes we grab the bridge and we, ta- and we test it and, and we see that it's secure and, and, and we take a step. But I also bet there's a lot of us in here who knows what it's like when you feel the winds of life blow against you, you hold that bridge and you freeze in your tracks and you stop. And there's a word for that. And the word for that is called insecurity. You see, it's this feeling of when we hold on to a bridge and we're frozen. And here's what we forget. Here's what makes insecurity insecurity. We forget that that bridge that we're holding on to is actually attached to a mountain. It's attached to something that is secure and that is stable. And see, insecurity is assuming that our stability comes from the bridge when actually um, our stability comes from the fact that the bridge is attached to a secure mountain. And what we're going to see today is no matter how you feel, no matter what insecurities you have, because what, what I've discovered is in, in, insecurities are a lot like going to an ice cream shop, right? We all have our own flavors that we like. And insecurities are that way. We all have these insecurities that we gravitate toward. But what we're going to see today is no matter how you feel, you are stable. You are secure. Because there is a secure bridge that's attached to a secure mountain. And today, here's what we're going to see. That Jesus is greater than any insecurity. He's greater than any insecurity. And today, what we're going to see is how this mountain is our security. And the bridge we hold on to is what connects us to that mountain. And that's what allows us to take the next step and the next step. And the next step. And then we're also going to see how sometimes when we grab that bridge, we just see the bridge and not the mountain that it's connected to. And when we do, we freeze. And that's called insecurity. It's forgetting that this secure bridge that we hold on to is attached to a secure mountain. So today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Uh, You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, there's some in front of you. It's on page 844 of those Bibles. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you. We would love for uh, it to be our gift to you uh, as just a way to say thank you for coming today. Uh, And we'd love for you to have a Bible in your home. Like Carol said, we're also on the Bible app. So you can download that, click on events, and click on Fellowship Asheville, and all of our announcements are there. Even the the Bible verses we're looking at today are there in a place where you can take notes and save it. And as you're turning there, we're in a series called Greater Than, where where we're taking that theme. That's what this symbol behind me is. If you remember back to elementary school, that's the greater than symbol. That everything on this side is always greater than everything on that side. As we've been working our way through Hebrews, we've been seeing time and time again that Jesus is greater than. He's greater than our fears. He's greater than our doubts. He's, he's greater than our failures. He's greater than even our successes. Jesus is greater than. And today we're going to see that he's greater than all of our insecurities. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to see this mountain that our bridge is connected to today. Look at verse 13. Um, It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now, uh, just as a way to to remind us and a recap, uh, the preacher of Hebrews, and I say preacher because this book in the New Testament is a little different than other books in the New Testament. Most of those books are letters. And so they're written from someone to somebody else or from someone to a group of people. This book called Hebrews is different than a letter because it doesn't have a typical beginning and a typical end like a letter would. It doesn't say greetings uh, at the beginning and doesn't say, Lord bless you and keep you at the end. It's different. So a lot of people believe, and I believe too, that this isn't a letter, but it is a sermon preached. And we don't know who wrote this sermon, like who transcribed it. We don't know who preached this sermon, but there is one thing that we do know, and that is who this sermon was preached to. And it was preached to a church of believers in Jesus who grew up in Jewish homes. It was people who are of the, of the nation of Israel. They are Hebrew, but they have said yes to Jesus. And so this preacher is preaching a message to them. Now, because of that, one of the things that this preacher does is he assumes that this congregation has a certain amount of knowledge, that, that, that when they were raised, they had to memorize the first few books of the Bible to learn to read and write. And so the stories and illustrations that he uses from the Old Testament and the Psalms If you were back in the church in in this day, if you were listening to this sermon be preached, you would know some of the things that he's talking about just intrinsically because they were talked about in your homes. Your, your, Your mother and father showed you those stories in the scriptures. You talked about Abraham. You talked about Moses. And so for this little verse, he's not gonna explain it very much because he knows you have a lot of background knowledge. So for us, We need a little reminder because what this preacher is doing is he's pointing to a time in Abraham's life where Abraham had to hold on to a bridge, a very secure bridge, because a huge wind just blew against him. And Abraham had to look to the mountain of God because what what had happened to Abraham is God had asked him to offer a sacrifice, which was very common uh, in Abraham's day, to offer a sacrifice um, to the Lord. But this sacrifice was different. Because God told Abraham that he needed to sacrifice his son, his only son. Now, y'all, this was crazy in Abraham's day, and it's just like it's crazy in our day. Which is why Abraham had to hold on to this bridge, because that's a pretty strong wind to blow against you when God asks you to do something that sounds crazy. And yet, that's where Abraham was. And so what Abraham did is he told his son that they're going to go make a sacrifice. It's believed that his son was somewhere in the range of 10 to 12 years old. So his son wasn't this toddler that didn't know what was going on. There was probably a point as they were walking up the mountain to the altar to do the sacrifice that, that, that his son looked around and was like, Dad, just one question real quick. Where is the sacrifice? To which Abraham said, God's going to have to provide. Because Abraham believed that God was going to do something. Either God was going to provide a sacrifice or God was going to heal his son. God was going to do something. And so Abraham had faith in that. And so Abraham takes 
takes his son up to the altar and, and places his son on the altar. By this time, his son figured out what's happening. And as Abraham raises the knife to sacrifice his son, God intervenes and shows up and provides a ram, provides the perfect sacrifice. That's the story that these verses point us to. And what I want to do is show you in Genesis 22 real quick what God said about Abraham. And it'll be up here on the screen. In Genesis 22, verses 15 through 17, it says this. And an angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offering as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. So God tells him, because you walked with me, because you trusted me, because you held on to this bridge when the wind blew and you looked to the mountain, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you. Now hold on to that promise that God gave because it becomes important here in just a minute. So, so God says, I've sworn by myself and there's this promise. Now, the preacher here is going to give you a real quick commentary on what Abraham did. Look at verse 15. It says, And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Right? So God said, God told Abraham, I will swear by myself, you will be a nation. And so Abraham stood on this bridge swinging like few of us have ever stood on a swinging bridge like that. And, and Abraham grabbed that bridge, and, and, and feeling unstable, though, he, he held onto that bridge and realized that that bridge was connected to the mountain of God. And, and he did what God had asked him to do, right? God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And Abraham waited. For those of you who are here, when we studied the life of Abraham, that was the theme of Abraham's life, isn't it? Is waiting waiting for God to do what only God can do. And here we see that he did that. And look, look at verse 16. It says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So what this preacher is doing is he's saying, all right, so that's what happened to Abraham, right? Abraham showed up, asked Abraham to do something that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Abraham trusted, and then there was this promise. And God said, I swear by myself, here's a promise. And Abraham waited, and that promise was fulfilled. Well, now the preacher is going to say, okay, let's talk about us right now, right? And so this is the preacher talking about them, and it's also somewhat true of us. Because this preacher switches from talking about Abraham's life to their life. And, 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 and in their life, if they had a legal situation that they came up against where, where it was their testimony that was being judged, are they a truthful person? The way that they would prove in a, in, in a legal system that they were truthful is they would have to have two things. They would have to have a person of higher authority look at them and say, I trust them and what they're saying is true. And then they'd have to have a witness that pointed to them and said the same thing. I trust them and what they say is true. So there was this higher authority and there was this witness that had to be there before their word would be taken as true. And we do the same thing today. When we go to court, you put your hand on a Bible, that's the higher authority, and you swear that you're telling the truth. And then there are witnesses that show up to collaborate your story that yes, you are telling the truth. It's a higher authority and a witness. But here's the deal. God doesn't have a higher authority. 
There's no one above God for him to, to swear on that what he's saying is true. All he has is himself, and it's enough. And so that's why it says that, that God swore on his own name, swore on his self, because there was nothing greater. And here's why this is important. Because this preacher is setting us up to show us something. He's setting us up to show us that God is our secure mountain. Right? There's no authority higher than God. He is our secure mountain. He is our security. He is stable. And here's why we need to know this. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So God is the secure mountain. And his desire is to show people that, that he can be trusted as the secure mountain that he is. And so he provides a promise. And he told Abraham, you will be a great nation. And verse 15 said, what did Abraham do? He waited for God to fulfill that promise, right? That Abraham was going to be a great nation. Now, let me remind you, who is this book written to? This letter called Hebrews is written to the Hebrew nation. And so if you were sitting there in that congregation and you heard about Abraham waiting for God to fulfill his promise and that that fulfilled promise was evidence that we could trust God because he is a secure mountain, you would look around and you'd be like, wait a second, we are the nation that God promised Abraham. And so what God did is he's a secure mountain and his desire to show people how secure he is is that he makes promises that only he can fulfill. Only he could take somebody like Abraham and make a nation out of him. Only he can make the Hebrews into a nation. And he made a promise to Abraham that you will be a nation and it is fulfilled. Look at verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things, all right, this preacher is making a point. God is a secure mountain, and his promises are the bridge that connect us to that secure mountain. That's the two unchangeable things. Who God is and what he says. Those are unchangeable, and they are secure, right? Verse 18, the rest of it. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So y'all, this is the, okay, the educational part of the sermon is over, right? We're all on board with what these, this Hebrew church understood, that we have to catch up. And now we're to the part where it makes a difference. Why in the world do we need to know that God is secure and his promises are secure? Why? Because in all of our lives, and whether you're there today or you were there last week or you will be here next week, there will be a point when the wind of life blows against you and you will question the security of one of those two things. You will question the security of God's promise or you will question the security of who God is. And this preacher wants you to know that both of those things are completely unchangeable, which is why he says when we're out on that bridge and that bridge connects us to this secure God. This secure bridge is attached to a secure mountain, and that is our security. And here we see that that bridge has a name. And that bridge is not called the Mile High Swinging Bridge, although it feels like it. That bridge has a name, and that name is hope. 
It is hope. Because that's what we hold on to. You see, biblical hope isn't challenged by a wind. And y'all, y'all should have been here first service. Right? Because when I said that, you know what happened? Like, wind was raging outside. And by the way, we have a few extra leaks that we didn't know existed, (laughs) which is fun. But hope, biblical hope, isn't challenged by the strongest wind that blows our way. You see, our hope is as sure as the mountain that it's connected to. And when we hold on to that hope, we can treat it like the hope that it is. Because see, in in the Bible, the word hope is another word for sure and security and trust. It is an anchor. It's, 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 It's not a wish. A lot of times when people use the word hope, we use it as a wish right? I hope I get an A on that test. That's a wish. Even if you studied in some subjects, you're still not going to get an A on that test. It's a wish. I hope that he or she likes me. I hope I get a new phone for my birthday. I hope I get the promotion. Those are wishes. But in scripture, we see something called hope that's very different. And it is sure and it is true. And that is what we hold on to. Here's a picture of what it is in verse 19. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we'll talk about Melchizedek next week. All of chapter seven is about him, so so we'll do that next week. But this week I want us to look, verse 19, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope. You see, a biblical hope is sure and it is steadfast, which means ongoing, never stops, never gives up, never fades away. That's our hope. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all the weight and penalty of our sin on himself. And the wrath of God for that sin was put on Jesus. That's our hope, not a wish. That's our hope. It is true and it is sure and it is steadfast. And his death, his death sealed the deal for us. By him taking on our sin and the penalty for our sin, it forever changed the relationship of humanity and God. Because see, in the Hebrew church, if you were this Hebrew church, you have grown up with, with the understanding that there is a temple in Jerusalem where it is said the presence of God rests in that temple. And not over the whole temple. That's not the, the tangible presence of God. The tangible presence of God was in a room that was, that was very privately uh, put away in the far back of the temple. And it was so far removed from the people that only one person could enter that, that, that part of the temple one time a year. And for that one person to enter that one part of the temple to be in the presence of God, they had to make a sacrifice for themselves, a sacrifice for the nation. They had to purify themselves and they could walk in. When they walked in, they had to do a sacrifice in there because only one person could enter the holy place of God. And that had to be through the blood of a sacrifice. And it had to be done every year because that sacrifice wasn't permanent. And this preacher is saying, Jesus has gone before us and he has been our high priest. He has been the one that has been able to enter into the presence of God because he is the sacrifice. And because he is the sacrifice, it is permanent. 
And just to show how permanent it is, when Jesus was on the cross and when he died, and when he took his final breath and he said, it is finished, something happened in the temple. The cross was over here and the temple was over here. And when Jesus said, it is finished, and he took his last breath and the, and the weight of sin rested on him, something happened in that temple uh, where God was making a point because separating that place from everybody else was this curtain. And that curtain was thick and that curtain was beautiful and only the high priest got to go from one side of that curtain to the other side of that curtain. Everybody else was separate. But when Jesus died and took his final breath, that curtain was torn. And it was torn not from the bottom to the top because a man could do that. That curtain was torn from the top to the bottom because only God can do that. And only God can make a sacrifice that is permanent. And only God could send his own son to do that for us so that what it showed is that when Jesus died and took his final breath and said, it is finished, that the penalty of sin had been paid for. And now the presence of God isn't in a place, it's in a person. And that person is Jesus. That's our hope. And it's not a wish, it is true, and it is secure. And this preacher says that Jesus has gone there before us, and he has paved the way. And so if this bridge has a name of hope, the preacher is showing us that the greatest promise that God has given and the greatest promise that God has fulfilled isn't that he raised a nation out of an old man, it's that, it's that he, he paved the way for sin to be reconciled. That's the greatest promise that God has fulfilled. And so this preacher is showing us that this greatest promise of God is who this bridge is. And that Jesus is our secure bridge connecting us to the secure mountain of God. Hope is the name of the bridge, but the bridge is Jesus. And he is the only bridge that connects us to God. And he is our hope. He's, he's not a wish. He's real. And knowing this, when we step out on that bridge, and, and, and really our faith is like that, isn't it? When we say yes to Jesus, we take a step out on that bridge. And man, the first couple of steps, the sun is shining. There's no wind. Life is great. The, the word of God is, is, is like this kaleidoscope that's opening up to you. And then you take a couple of more steps, and, and, and the, 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 the wind of life hits you. And you realize you've got to hold on to something or you're going to be blown down. And you grab a hold of that bridge. And you realize that that bridge is secure because it's connected to a secure mountain. But sometimes we grab that bridge and we just hold on, don't we? And we freeze. And what happens when we stop? What happens when we grab that bridge and we freeze? Well, sometimes we forget that our bridge is actually connected to a secure mountain. Sometimes we forget that our secure bridge, Jesus, is connected to our secure mountain. And hope sometimes feels like a wish. And maybe for you, your religion has been more of a wish, more of a, a worldly view of hope than a biblical view of hope. That your religion has been about, I hope I get to heaven. I hope that I'm good enough. I hope that I'm not bad enough, which means I wish that I'm good enough. I wish 
that I'm not bad enough. I wish that I get to go to heaven. Well, let me give you a secure bridge today connected to a secure mountain where your wishing hope no longer has to be a wish that it can be a biblical hope. Let me invite you to hold on to Jesus who never lies, who never changes. He is our bridge. And he is the only bridge connecting you to God. And your hope is secure in him. And so today can be the day that you grab this bridge of Jesus and realize that he has paved the way into heaven for you. And if that's you, then let's talk, right? That card in front of you, that connect card that Carol talked about, there's a little box that says interested in knowing more about a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what our faith is. It is a personal relationship. It is not about a religion. And I would love to talk to you about that. Put your name and email on that card and drop it in the offering box and me or somebody on the staff will contact you and we would love to talk to you about having a personal relationship with Jesus. But many of you have already said yes to Jesus, right? You've already stepped out on that bridge. What happens to us when we freeze? What happens to us when we step out on that bridge and we hold on to it and we forget that that bridge is connected to a sure mountain? What happens when we lose hope? Because see, when we lose hope, we freeze. Our faith stops in its tracks. And like we saw last week, we stop growing. And I think it's even worse than growing, we stop going, we stop taking those steps of faith. Remember, those, those people that were on the bridge, man, as soon as that wind hit, they grabbed it, they tested the bridge. Once they realized the bridge was secure because it's connected to a secure mountain, they took a step and they were able to get from one side of the bridge to the other and, and they got to experience all the good stuff that was there to experience, which on that day was a little bit, but if they went back, they got to experience a whole lot more. And by the way, every illustration breaks down at some point. Y'all realize that, don't you? <laughs> But, but they got to experience that. And then there were some people that just held on to it and stopped in their tracks. They stopped going, and we do the same thing. We stop taking those steps of faith. We stop growing in our understanding of God's word, and we stop growing in our understanding of God's ways of taking those steps of faith. And in many ways, we forget that our hope is real, and we think it's a wish. Now, I'm going to talk about me for just a minute, and then I'm going to talk about you. I'm gonna talk about what it looks like in my life when I hold on to that bridge and freeze. I get bored is what it looks like. Reading my Bible becomes very disinteresting to me. Instead of being able to open up God's word and hear God's voice to me through his own written words, I open up the Bible and it's just a book. It's just facts and I get bored. I play it safe. I, I, I like comfort. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, you go to our house, pretty much every chair is a comfy chair. And if it's not, we call it a looking at chair. It's not a sitting in chair. It's a looking at chair, right? It's just a chair you don't, you don't sit in. You just look at. Why we have them? Well, in case we need them, you can be the uncomfortable one in it. But no, we'll, on a good day, we'll take it. But I love comfort. And that's not intrinsically a bad thing. Comfort becomes a bad thing for me when I want that more than anything else. That's when it's a bad thing for me. That's when I get bored in my faith. That's when I stop taking those steps of faith. And for me, that's how I know I'm frozen. That I've grabbed the bridge and I've stopped in my tracks. When I stop taking those steps of faith. 
Because every single step of faith, no matter how big or how small, it is defined as a step of faith because I can't do what it takes to do whatever step that is. For me to take that step, I have to be holding on the bridge because only God can do whatever it is that he's asking me to do, whether it's speak to a person that I haven't met or ask the question of a person that I do know deeply, the question that needs to be asked or whether it's starting Fellowship Weaverville. That is a huge step of faith that only God can do. And when I stop having those in my life, I, I get bored. And that's when I know that, I froze, that I'm frozen. What, what about you? What do you do when you freeze on a secure bridge connected to the secure mountain of God? Do you get bored like me? Is that how you know? Do you get fearful is, is, is your first response to what God is asking you to do no? That's fear. Right? If your first response to doing anything is no, then chances are fear is leading the way. Do you get depressed? Is that how you know that, that you're frozen on that bridge? And that one is when God asks you to do something, to take that step of faith, your response is, I really don't want to. Do you get anxious? That response is really simple. It's, God, I can't do that. Or here's one of my favorites, and I'm prone to do this too. And it looks counterintuitive, but it's not. Do you get overly busy when you're frozen on that bridge? And here's what that means. That means on the outside, you look like you are the rock star volunteer for fellowship. You are showing up at everything, you are doing everything, and you are doing it with a smile on your face, but you know on the inside you're empty. Because everything that you're doing, you're doing because you can do it. There's nothing in your life that you can't do. And so you get really busy. Maybe that's what your frozen on the bridge looks like. And maybe you're on that bridge today and you've come to a place where you feel that cold wind blowing against you and the clouds have descended and you have forgotten that that secure bridge is attached to a secure mountain. If that's you, then I have a hope that you can hold on to. All you have to do is look up and remember that that bridge is secure. And that that bridge is secure because it's attached to a secure mountain mountain. There's not three easy steps to take the next step of faith. There's one step, and it is looking up to see the secure mountain of God. That's it. And if you're there on that bridge today, then all you have to do is look up. Because here's the deal. If you're not on that bridge today, you will be on that bridge one day. And insecurity will rear its ugly, hideous head to you. And you will feel like you can't, you don't want to, um, uh, all the other things that I said. You will feel that one day, if not today. And if so, I've got a hope for you, something that you can hold on to, just to show you how secure you are. In Romans chapter 8, it'll be up here. Chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, it says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor anything present nor anything to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So church, here's what this means for those of us who have said yes to Jesus and we're holding on to a bridge and we are frozen in our tracks. When we feel like we are separated from God, church, what separates us from that secure mountain and that secure bridge? Nothing. Church, what separates you from that secure bridge and that secure mountain? Okay, now remember, I was a third grade teacher. So when I ask a question, I expect an answer. All right, so let's answer this. Church, what separates you from that secure bridge connected to that secure mountain? Nothing. Nothing separates. You know what that means in Greek? Nothing. There's no asterisk by it. Nothing separates you from the love of Christ. Nothing separates you from that secure bridge connected to that secure mountain. And so this week, when we feel insecure, this week when that insecurity rages at you, you remind it that you are holding on to a secure bridge connected to a secure mountain. You remind it that Jesus is greater than any insecurity. And when you feel insecure, you look to the mountain and pray. Because nothing separates you from the love of Christ.